you come to a meeting and you're going to talk about a process and you're ready to talk about how well it's going, but then you find out they have a different perception of how things are going. And then you realize you have this problem where you don't agree on what the KPIs are. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. In this episode, we continue examining the technology trends that need to be on the minds of tech leaders during 2023. Like many of you, we spend a lot of time thinking about the future and trying to understand its impact on the present. I personally do a lot of reading in this area, and I recently had the opportunity to read Tech Trends 2023 from Infotech Research Group. It is a great report. It focuses both on strategy as well as tactical advice. I'm incredibly excited to introduce today's guest, Brian Jackson. Brian is the report's principal author. We will discuss his findings and some of the actions Infotech recommends for 2023. Welcome to Status Go, Brian. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. Hey, Brian, before we dive into the report itself, would you share a little bit about your background with our listeners just so they get to know you a little bit? Yeah, happy to. So before I was at Infotech Research Group, I was the editorial director at IT World Canada, and I covered the IT industry for more than a decade. I eventually led the editorial team there. Um, you know, publications like ITBusiness.ca, IT World Canada, we had Canadian CIO as well, uh, several different angles into covering the IT industry. So I'm no stranger to uh, the world of IT, I've been to almost every IT conference you can think of over the past 10 <laughs> years and interviewed um, hundreds of different executives that are in the industry. That, that's excellent. And yeah, I can imagine uh, uh, you've been a road warrior going to going to those conferences. But uh, yeah, I remember that time when I traveled to places. That was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as a, as a writer, I always look at how other writers present their ideas. And the metaphor you weave through this report is that of a chess player, rather a, a chess grandmaster. Why did you choose that metaphor for this year's report? Have you ever heard of the Mechanical Turk? Yeah. Yeah, that's where it started because we were preparing our keynote version of the tech trends for our conference live. And I was thinking of what's the hook to get into the story. And I was thinking of all the hype that was happening around the tech trends. And uh -huh. my impression of the tech trends at that time was, you know what, there's actually more hype than there is substance at this point, because there's some certain companies that are a bit too enthusiastic and sort of overstating the capabilities of their technology. And then I was reminded of the Mechanical Turk, the 18th century automaton that was created by Wolfgang von Kampelen, uh, which toured the world and played uh, chess against people like Napoleon Bonaparte and was extremely good at chess, beat almost everybody it played. And for a long time, almost a century, people thought, oh, is this a real automaton? Is, does it have true intelligence? Is it actually 
playing chess and I mean, just imagine how incredible that achievement would have been at the time. Um, so yeah. of course it was revealed eventually that it was a hoax and there was a guy in the box underneath the Turk controlling it and playing chess. But that made me think then of Gary Kasparov, right? And yeah. IBM's Deep Blue computer, which did play chess with artificial intelligence and did beat the world chess champion in 1997. So that's where the metaphor came from. And I tied it into the trends report. I, I love that. And I love how you, you, you have, you set it out in the introduction and then you weave it throughout. Uh, the other thing I really like about the report is for each of the trends that you identify, you, you provide a description that's uh, a, a pretty, I wouldn't say in depth, but it's, it's not a light touch description either. It's, uh, typically a, a page, uh, a description. And then you have sections that you call signals, drivers, attack opportunity, protect from risk, case study, what's next, and of course, my favorite recommendations. But in the report, you identified seven trends that IT leaders need to consider in 2023. What are those trends and how did you end up aligning them? Yeah. Okay, great. So we'll go through the seven trends just quickly. I'll name them and then we'll dive in where you're most interested. I think, Jeff, that's yeah. the best way to approach this. But when we were sorting through this, we were, of course, thinking of the last trends report we did. And in 2022, uh, it was sort of a very exciting time and we felt like we were accelerating into this growth phase. So it was all about growing in the digital economy. We wanted to send this message to technology leaders about how can you support your organizations through these uh, opportunities and through the, uh, perhaps a period of growth. And we're still continuing that theme in 2023. We still want to do that, but we're also coming into a time of more volatility. And we have to recognize that. So we have two groups of trends. The first group, we have four trends in that growth area of attack new opportunities and then we have trends in the other category of protect from volatility. So uh, in the opportunities area, we've got the metaverse, generative AI, industry-led data models, and sustained digital processes. And then on the other side, protect from volatility, we've got ESG, analytics and reporting, zero trust security, and recession preparation. Well, and dividing them into those two really does play into that chess metaphor, right? Because you need you need to attack uh, in chess, but you also have to protect. Uh, and, and and I love that. And, and I, I have to confess, I, I really struggled with uh, which of these do we want to spend time talking about today? Because, you know, in a 30-minute podcast, we can't talk about all seven. Um, and some of them are just so exciting. You know, the the... the the metaverse, for example, I mean, that's uh, uh, people are talking a lot about that. And of course, uh, generative AI uh, with the uh, release uh, to the public of. Uh, yeah, Chat GPT. Yeah. Is yeah. the one that's every, um, everybody's you know, that, hooked on right now. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's talking about that. But what I really wanted to do was focus on some areas that maybe are a little more pragmatic for our listeners, uh, things that they're really thinking about. Uh, and so what I'd love to do is uh, look at uh, industry-led data models, sustained digital processes, uh, and zero trust security, because I think those things are going to be 
uh, top of mind for folks. So let's dive into that industry-led data model first. Uh, can you describe that uh, that trend uh, at, a, at a high level for us, Brian? Yeah, so the trend is about industry-specific expertise and how it's helping turn data collection into insights and pushing more back office operations to find analytics-driven efficiencies and creating new revenue-generating opportunities for organizations. So I feel like for years now, probably more than a decade at this point, we've been talking about you know this myth of how technology companies use data to drive their business models. Mm -hmm. And you, you see... Let's look at examples that everybody knows, right? Netflix, uh, it has that recommendation algorithm about what you should watch next. And actually, yeah. it, it's usually pretty good. You can find shows on there. Like people do use that to find content. And then yeah. Amazon, right? Another classic example with its e-commerce business. How did it become an e-commerce giant? Well, they know what you want to buy next. And they know when you need to refill your vitamin subscription, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's these personalized data algorithms that are so powerful in uh, driving the business and connecting it to um, exactly its revenue generating activities there. But that's been harder to adopt for legacy industries. So when you look at organizations that are in the healthcare industry or mm -hmm. in manufacturing or even finance, right? It's just... A little bit more difficult to because not everything can be automated and the data that you want to collect tends to be trapped in these siloed systems that mm -hmm. are not these modern data platforms right so this is what we're seeing now is there's more maturation in this area and organizations are starting to realize the value of data-driven insights and we're seeing this combination of the industry-based expertise talking about these legacy industries and the technology provider side coming together to solve these problems, solve these challenges, and work the data insights into the processes that are actually taking place in these organizations. So are we, are we aggregating data from the, the tech companies aggregating data from different clients? So if, if I'm in uh, one of the more traditional um, areas like manufacturing here in the Midwest, uh, you know, that's, that's one of our, our top sectors. Uh, I'm sharing my data with maybe a tech vendor who is then mixing it in with my competitors data in some way. That's one example of how this could come into fruition, right? We're seeing these sort of, let's look at the cloud providers again. And once you see companies like Amazon and Google and Microsoft doing with their cloud services is creating clouds around industries, right? So if you want to um, tap into the powerful cloud services that are available, you don't just get the same flavor that everybody else is getting. You're tapping into an industry cloud product set now, or you're going into, you know, whether you're manufacturing or media or retail, Amazon sort of segments its services in that way. So in that model, right? And I've even seen this um, as sort of a model, like on the Salesforce backend, you can opt in to share your data into this anonymous aggregated cloud, right? And that's important. You have to be able to opt in. Uh, yeah. But the way they do it is if you don't opt in, you don't get the insights from the other industry. <laughs> it's like, give your data to, to get the benefit of everybody get, yeah. else sharing yeah. theirs, right? And then you're able to benchmark yourself against 
what other companies in your industry are doing, which is extremely useful. And, you know, the, the really powerful trend that I'm seeing is that um, companies are actually partnering with these technology providers to harness the technology and develop the processes themselves to, to tie those analytics into what they're doing to do everything from train their own data models, uh, including artificial intelligence, or just to push analytics to the right place at the right time. So when you need to make that decision and you're doing your job, you see the data and it helps you decide and it becomes obvious what to do because this statistic is right in front of you. Do you also see that um, perhaps industry associations will be the point of aggregation for data as opposed to tech companies? Are you seeing it kind of both ways there? Yeah, it, that's an opportunity for industry associations that they should be considering, right? And uh, what you would need is some sort of data platform. And, you know, what are you going to do to entice people to share their data with you and then push out um, the data back to them that would be most useful? And it's sort of like this data as a service concept. And I like the idea of associations and uh, industry groups becoming a common place where that could happen. And you think about, you know, the, the sort of risks of private companies doing this. And in some cases, organizations might be nervous to share their private data with, you know, the Amazons and the Googles of the world for various reasons. Well, there's a lot of security uh, technology that's coming out to try and protect your data and your uh, intellectual property when you do that. But mm -hmm. if you could do it with through a more trusted party that you see as like a nonprofit or, you know, uh, your peers in the industry, that might entice you even more to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as, as you lay out in this report, it's obvious that, that you're taking into consideration that not everybody's at the same place on these continuums on, on these trends. Uh, and, so for someone who is just beginning to think about uh, uh, industry data sets and, thing, and, and that sort of thing, what, what are some of the first things that you recommend they pay attention to and, and maybe take action on? Yeah, that's a great question because depending on your maturity in these areas, you're going to be coming at it from a different angle, right? Not everybody's ready to take their data and train an algorithm tomorrow, right? That takes some uh, backend work. So um, every organization that I've talked to though, uh, that's been able to do this uh, extremely well, they talk about the importance of cleaning the data, right? And it sounds sort of like, well, that's boring. And it's like brushing your teeth, right? It's the hygiene that we don't wanna do. But data hygiene is a real process that we need to pay attention to in organizations. And you need to be thinking about, you know, what is the valuable data that actually matters to the organization? What, you know, what variables are going to impact the decisions that we're making? Mm -hmm. And what's your source of that data? How are you collecting it? How are you making it available? So you're building this data architecture that's clean, right? But has good data, removes the redundancies, and is ready to feed into some sort of analytics model or train an algorithm. Boy, it, it, a lot of times it really does come down to the those uh, those foundational steps of of having a great governance process, 
implementing that across the organization so that even internally, you end up with, with data sets that you can derive insights from, whether you end up sharing mm-hmm. them or not, you really need that layer, don't you? You absolutely do, even to harvest the value for your own organization. And that's in the data that we collected in our survey, we see that most organizations value data in terms of what is going to improve their products and services, right? And next after that is what is going to help us reduce the costs of running our processes. So you realize that data is valued and how it can contribute to existing products and services or operations. And when you think about it in that terms, it sort of helps you limit, uh, well, what data really matters. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to the, to the second one that we're going to yep. dive into today, which is sustained digital processes. Uh, before we get to that specific, though, it, it occurred to me that we should have mentioned, uh, as we were talking about, the overall report is you have some great images mm-hmm. that are in this report. Am I correct that uh, I read that they are AI-generated images? Yes, they are. Uh, our design team uh, at Infotech decided that because we were discussing generative AI in this report, and we have a case study about an artist, Rob Sheridan, and how he was a very early user of MidJourney, which is uh, one of these AI-generating or AI-image-generating bots that's available. So we said, well, this is available to us. Why don't we try to create the visuals for the report using MidJourney? And that's what they did. So um, all the visuals you see, of course, there's text that's placed on top of them. And that's one thing the image generator can't do is create sort of the the text on the images. If you try that, you'll you'll see it comes out a little garbled. It doesn't make any sense. But in terms of the actual image that was created there, it's it's all for mid-journey. So I thought... It was beautiful, first of all, and it's just a really compelling idea that shows you the promise of generative AI and what it can do. Yeah, it it it, it reminded me when I when I brought up the sustained digital processes because the image, it's a beautiful image of a butterfly in the in the forest, and yeah, um, wanted to make sure we pointed that out. All right, well, let's talk about the sustained mm-hmm. digital processes. What what do you mean by that? Okay, so we've been through this period of intense digital transformation during the pandemic. What have we heard about the last couple of years, right? How many times have you heard this, Jeff, on your podcast or in your reading even, that digital transformation is accelerating, right? And what Mm -hmm. that means is that organizations have been digitalizing their processes and automating them at a rapid pace because we had to, right? If you were doing things physically before in person, well, that wasn't available to you at the height of right. the pandemic and when things were most restrictive. So you were sort of pushed into this digitalization effort. And now that we've come out of that period, right, and things are more open in the economy, right, so people have the physical interaction option again, well, th- we're seeing that um, organizations are taking their foot off the gas pedal on digitalization. Mm-hmm. They're still doing it, right? It's still activity that's happening, but not as quickly, not as rapidly as it was before in terms of the number of processes that they are digitalizing. And instead, they're looking at all the work they've done. They're thinking of how do we get the value out of that investment? And how do we make sure that our operations are actually following this digital transformation plan that we made? And they're looking to harvest um, new insights 
out of the opportunity that they've created by creating this sort of modernized digital infrastructure that they're operating on. And, and I love the way you, you, you start this section out, just the kind of the headline uh, that it, digital transformation is a journey, not a destination. In other words, you never really, you're never really done with your digital transformation. Right. Yeah. It would be nice if it was like the butterfly that you see on the report there, you know, the caterpillar starts off, it's the larva stage, and then it transforms into the butterfly um, journey complete, right? This is the transformation. We know clearly what the starting point is and what the end point is, but in dig yeah. digital transformation, it's never really done, right? Like we can always find new processes to digitalize and new um, ways to use technology to harvest value from the organization and do things differently. So that's why I say it's this ongoing pro process. And we have to realize that just because we've now migrated to this modernized cloud ERP system that we're running all of our processes around, well, that doesn't mean that you're doing it perfectly or you can't find areas to improve. This theme that you that you write about in this report, Brian, the uh, you know the attack opportunities, uh, uh, protect from risk, uh, on digital transformation. Uh, what are some of the opportunities that you see companies really need to look into and go after in twenty twenty three? Yeah, great. So first off, we have improved back office efficiency, which is sort of the reason that we're digitalizing our processes in the first place, right? Why, why are we going through all this? And why do you change something from a manual and, uh, you know, human interaction way of doing it to a, a digital way using software? It's because you want to automate that task. You want to mm -hmm. get somebody uh, freed up so their time doesn't have to be spent on doing the same boring thing day after day, right? So if we're able to adapt processes um, to the ways that they can be executed by software, well, now we can uh, automate that and spend our time focused on higher value tasks, right? And another thing is just to become um, in agreement on what are the key performance indicators that we care about, right? So if you ever come to a meeting, and I find this is so often the case where you come to a meeting and you're going to talk about a process that maybe you own, and you're ready to talk about how well it's going because you've got the data, you're go going to go over the reports with your colleagues, but then you find out they have a different perception of how things are going because they're looking at different indicators about what they think that process is really about. And then you realize you have this problem where you don't agree on what the KPIs are. So that's really important to, to find agreement on the key performance indicators. I, I think... I think that's exactly right. And, and it it sounds so easy, right? Agree on the KPIs, but a yeah. lot of times that, that can be uh that can be a challenge. It absolutely can be. And there's one more we can cover here too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Which, which is to drive transparency and objectivity, which is connected to this idea. But um if you're able to use these business processes mining tools, which this trend is really about this new category of tools that are being applied to um, investigate how we're executing on our operations. Well, mm -hmm. now we have an objective source of the truth, right? And how many times do you hear that catchphrase when we yeah. talk about digital transformation? So, oh, we want that common, that single source of the truth. 
as if that can ever really be created, right? But this is what we're working towards is a common understanding, but also um, a place where something objective can illuminate to us, here's how things are actually being executed because we're examining the log files of your ERP. So it's not an opinion about what's happening. It's what's actually happening. And you're going to have a conversation about that now to discuss why is the way we're executing it, not the way that we plan to do so. And in some cases, it'll even uh, show you new processes that you didn't realize you had, right? When, how many times has somebody at the grassroots decided that they're going to do something differently from the way their boss told them to do it, right? And that yeah. can be discoverable in this system. Other side of the coin or other side of the, of the chessboard, what are some of the risks uh, that we need to protect against in this uh, uh, digital process, digital transformation right. process. Yeah, you got to be aware of the risks too, right? It's not just all gravy when you're talking about new technology, right. and we know this. Um, one that I highlight is the change management process. You could almost say this for any new emerging technology, but this one is it's worth raising particular because you're actually going to be going out and talking to your business partners about processes that they own, right? So you have to go and talk to the guy that's running um, the order to cash to process or the people that are hire going and finding new employees to hire or organize, organizing the transportation logistics. And somebody in IT or some sort of business analyst has to take the results of this business process mining and go and say, hey, We've seen that the execution isn't matching the plan. And why is that, right? You have to have that conversation. So there's going to be that friction where the business process owner might not accept that your new technology knows how things are going. And yet there has to be conversation about the validity of that, right? So that they accept it. And then you have to have the change conversation. Now that we agree there's a problem or there's friction, what are we going to do to change and to, to solve this? Because without the humans agreeing on what the new process is, there's no value, right? You can yeah, yeah. find all the problems you want, or can you, <laughs> if you don't change how, how what the problem is, right, you haven't solved it. Okay. Another risk here is that a lot of the technologies in this space are startups. So, for example, I'll take uh, this German startup, Salonis, is uh, offering business process management. And what it does is it analyzes um, the log files of SAP ERP software, right? Okay. So could, couldn't you imagine that SAP would come along and say, well, why are we letting this startup analyzing our log files and offer value on top of what we are selling to customers? We want to own that, right? So SAP yeah. comes out with their own solution. They acquire it you know, from some somewhere else or they build it themselves and maybe they change their log files to be more proprietary. So you could see the startups sort of in these standalone solutions getting iced out, not able yeah. to deliver on what they do. So it's the, you know, similar problem. Anytime you work with a startup, you have to think about what happens if it stops working. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's the result quality too, right? And you, you have to, you know, if you're feeding bad data into those log files or um, you don't have the back end properly worked out, because this is a late stage um, process for your digital transformation, you can't just start doing this if you don't have a really 
uh, well-developed and mature digital transformation underway where all your data is going through um, a, a single repository. Well, let's let's jump over to our, our third category that we're going to talk about, our third trend that we're going to talk about, zero trust security. Um, now, this is on uh, the other side, right? Rather than an attacking opportunity, this is protecting from risk, obviously. Right. Uh, what's, what's the trend in zero trust? We've been hearing about zero trust for a while now, but why did this one float to the top? Uh, for you as you were writing this report in 20, for 2023? Well, last year we were looking at sort of the threat of ransomware as being uh, the trending security, cybersecurity risk. And it seemed like every other week there was a new headline about mm -hmm. um, ransomware affecting a new organization. So that's sort of like the payload that uh, hackers are delivering through all these vulnerabilities that are exist out in the um, world there, right? And the big problem was they're getting to these organizations, they're getting to their victims through the software supply chain. So a company trusts its software vendors generally, right? You install, you know, Microsoft Office, you assume it's going to be secure. There's not, you know, as long as I'm on top of my patching, I'll be safe from uh, getting hacked there. And that turned out to not be the case, you know, and we re remember some big headlines about certain um, software vendors that didn't cover all of the bases in terms of the zero day exploits. And that turned out to be a backdoor into many organizations um, networks, right? So you get in through the back door. Uh, so how do you protect against vulnerabilities when it's sort of coming from inside your own house? Right. This yeah. is the idea. And the answer is zero trust security, because we're saying that, OK, we're in this new world now where there's no longer a perimeter. Right. Everybody's working from everywhere and we can't even trust our own software supply chain. There might be vulnerabilities um, in the software that we're using because it's adopting like all these different pieces of open source code or, you know, it's a it's like a Russian nesting doll. Every piece of software contains in its all these different uh, other pieces of software. So zero trust security is the framework that says we're trust no one, right? It's like the Fox Mulder of security frameworks. And <laughs> yeah, so instead of trying to limit the, the access to the vulnerabilities and block connections to your network from the outside and saying the people inside are trustworthy, it treats everybody equally. So you have to constantly verify your identity and authenticate that, yes, you're Jeff, and you have access to that data or to that application, and that you're allowed to move forward and access it. And if you don't uh, authenticate, then you can't even see it. It's like it's not even there on the network. So you don't even know that it can be exploited because to you, it doesn't exist. So this is yeah. the idea. And, you know, it's not just like us saying this is the answer. Zero trust security is the best way to approach it. It's actually what the president is saying, like uh, in the presidential order, Joe Biden is saying there's an executive uh, order out there that is demanding that um, the nation's cybersecurity be improved. And they're starting with federal agencies as, as one of the things that they're doing and federal agencies that answer to uh, the government, the federal government, they have to uh, follow the zero trust framework and show that they're doing it. 
And you can imagine the down market effects that has. If you're a, a vendor that deals with these federal agencies, and a lot of software vendors do, and they want to be on that trusted vendor list, well, now you have to know what Zero Trust Framework is all about and how are you going to make sure that you're complying with these new uh, security regulations. One of the other sections that you have that I mentioned earlier for each of these trends is a, is a case study. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the case study on Zero Trust? It was with uh, Edgeless Systems. Yeah, this is a great one because Edgeless Systems is a security vendor in itself, right? So their software, first of all, is basically a solution that allows you to use public cloud resources with total uh, confidence that your data is protected. So sometimes, you know, in extremely sensitive industries like government maybe, or finance, um, even though Amazon and Google and Microsoft all tell us that they guarantee, hey, we can't break your encryption. You know, we're not looking at your data when it's running on our servers. Well, we sort of have to trust them that they're not doing that, right? Because you can, traditionally, we've been able to encrypt our data when it's at rest. We've been able to encrypt our data when it's in transit. And we know we hold the keys to that. So we're good. Uh, they can't break the encryption and read it. But what about when it's being executed on, right? When it's actually being right. processed and it's being used, then it's no longer encrypted. And that's always been a problem. So that was a vulnerability that was perceived, at least, you know, whether actually people were stealing data. I, I don't think that's even been proven, right? But people yeah, were worried yeah. about it enough in these sensitive industries um, that they needed solutions. So Edgely System says, we've got a solution to that, basically. And it involves, you know, creating these virtual systems within the cloud. Very technical, right? It's a, yeah. creating virtual systems um, that you can run in, on your public infrastructure. So good. So now we've got our solution to run our, so our software or whatever our system is in the cloud, and we know it's secure, right? But then yep. you ask, well, edgeless systems, how do we know that your software hasn't <laughs> been hacked by some man in the middle attack or that right. the code that we're running from your software um, is, doesn't contain zero day vulnerabilities or uh, there's no exploits in it? So they say, okay, to guarantee that our software is as we intended it, right? So that you're running, you're executing the same code that we scripted in the first place, we're going to use this solution called SigStore, which is an open source solution that helps uh, open source software providers verify. So they get to sign their software and then their clients get to verify against the original signature that nobody has intervened. And there's a transparent log of all the times that this software code is being altered and who did that and were they authorized to do that. So everybody has a, a perfect record of exactly what the updates to that code were. So it just gives you that confidence that yes, you're running the software that the developer intended you to run. That, I, I, I loved that case study for uh, exactly the reason there that you, you pointed out, Brian, is we're talking about zero trust and how do you trust their system? Yeah. How do you trust the security provider that's trying to keep yeah. you safe? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love that example. Well, we are, we are out of time and uh, I could, I could just talk through this report all day long, Brian. I, I, I am a, a fan of the report, a fan of your writing. Uh, and our listeners know that 
at the end of each episode, we, we provide a, a strong call to action. And typically I ask our guests for a, a call to action, but I'm going to, I'm going to intercept that right now and say the call to action for today is to go out and download this report uh, and read it. I, I cannot recommend that more highly. Uh, we will put a link to the to where you can download the report uh, in our show notes so that you'll have access to that. But is there anything beyond that uh, that call to action, Brian, that you'd l- like to encourage our listeners to go out and do? I think that's the best thing we can recommend here, Jeff, because uh, there's so many recommendations in the report, you know, around yeah. the themes that we've talked about. If you're looking to get started with zero trust security, if you're looking to build your own industry uh, led data pipeline so you can start taking advantage of AI, it's 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 all in there and it, it connects to all these other resources at Infotech that can help you actually improve your capabilities and, and take the yeah. next step towards success. Yeah, like, like I said at the outset, I loved uh, the way that it it tied uh, the strategic and the tactical together uh, with some great recommendations. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, I am sure you are uh, in the midst of doing the circuit and talking a lot about that report uh, as we uh, head into 2023, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. We will have our show notes and we'll provide a link uh, over to this report that you can download. Uh, We'll also have a little bit more bio information on Brian. This is Jeff Tun for Brian Jackson. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.